0: Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We're delighted to be joined again by James Bollet from Purposeful. James joined us on the first podcast around purpose and productivity. Welcome back, James. Thank you for having me back, Simon. It's good to be here. I feel like I'm speaking to you a lot at the moment. I know. I know. I've enjoyed the podcast we've done so far and your amazing stories. So we'll see where today's journey takes us. Today, we are going to be talking about data insight and productivity you work really closely with us, James, in terms of taking our data and turning it into insight and meaningful stories. And we've worked together on a, a number of different clients and projects over the last 12, 18 months. So hopefully we've given you a new lease of life and a, a different angle to some work since you left in Moment. And I'll just remind all the listeners that you did describe yourself as a data geek in the first podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm a proud data geek as well. I was just thinking about this. When I was 12 years old, I voluntarily collected all of the school cricket records and collated averages for the season just for something to do. That's the sort of thing I like doing. Just give me some data and I'll I'll give you insights as long as you like.
0: In most of our projects, we like to deliver insight. It's a good place to start with the difference of what is the difference between data and insight and why does it matter?
1: It's a very good question. There is a big difference between data and insights. Data is everywhere and insights are actually relatively rare. The way I would define it is that data is just pure facts or information, such as something like eight out of 10 parents say that they're dissatisfied with cleaning their kids' teeth at night. doesn't really add any value or give you any new information or new insight into the human condition or the situation as it is. Insight, in contrast... Is information that gives you new views of an existing situation, a new way of thinking about a problem, a different way of viewing a challenge, or just a surprising new angle. So for example, one out of 10 parents say they love cleaning their kids' teeth because it's the quality time that they get to spend together at the end of the day, or one out of 10 parents don't enjoy getting their kids to clean their teeth because they can't tell whether the teeth have been adequately cleaned. It gives you that extra sense of information as to why things are the way they are. Data is everywhere. You can collect data on almost any subject nowadays. Insight is the art of getting something useful out of it.
0: Data-rich, information-poor, there's these companies that have massive amounts of data which gives them i think reassurance but clearly there's no story or the narrative is never interrogated or defined
1: yeah absolutely i think data is a huge comfort blanket um people often say data is the new oil which is true in that it's uh, incredibly valuable but it's only valuable if you can refine it and put it into something that that uses it it's not valuable in and of itself until the car and until the Industrial Revolution, oil was was pretty much worthless other than for a little bit of burning. So lots of organizations hoard this data and, and store it and actually get very little value from it because they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to analyze it or combine it with other information in order to get, to get a new view of the world or something that takes them forward. So yeah, I completely agree. There are lots of organizations, I'd say most are data rich
0: but insight poor so where do you start how do you know what's relevant if we think of it you've described it before when we've spoken about being a a story how do you start this story what's the what's chapter one
1: yeah well i think insight is best viewed as a process rather than as an end in itself it's a bit like innovation or, or what people consider consider to be genius in that they see the end result, they see the light bulb that works, they don't see the five hundred prototypes of the light bulb that Edison threw in the bin before he came up with the the light bulb. And insight itself is a is a little like that. I would encourage anyone who is looking to get insight from their data to follow the following broad steps in order to maximize their chances of succeeding. First of all, I think you need to really clearly understand the context in which you're operating and the background as to why you need insight. And that is understanding the status quo, knowing what data you have and what data you don't have, and then formulating a really good statement of the problem you're trying to solve. So in this case, if we're thinking about productivity data, our labor budgets are gonna reduce by 5% next year. Our problem statement is that we want to maintain existing numbers of hours front of house or existing levels of service. The problem is we need to figure out how to do it. That's a really nice framework for, for beginning the insight process. And then you can begin to generate hypotheses that you can use the data to try and prove or disprove. So in this case, for example, our hypothesis is that the assistant manager role is duplicating a lot of the effort of the team leader role and that that's an area to investigate. So that's that's great. So we understand the, the context and the problem we're trying to solve. And we've got a really clear hypothesis then of, of what it is we're going to try and examine to see if that solves the problem. If it does, great. If it doesn't, then we can carry on looking. Then you build your analysis on that hypothesis in order to generate the insight that you want, which is, okay, 50% of account manager time or assistant manager time is actually spent on tasks back of house that could be done by a team leader or a standard colleague, okay, great, now we've got an insight, something that we can do something with. And that insight in and of itself is good, but it only really becomes compelling when you attach an action to it and something you need to do. So when I was being trained as a young market researcher, I went on the Market Research Society summer school, where the catchphrase of the, the week-long residential training course that we were chanting in the bar at two in the morning was, insight, not data. Insight, not data, which is great. But of course, insight in and of itself isn't useful unless you can do something with it. So what you're looking to do is transfer that insight into action and then building a story around the actions that you need people to take, because it's all very well going into a a room in the organization where you work or with a client and saying 50% of the system manager time is spent doing tasks that could be done by someone else. But Why? what can we do about it? What are the tasks? Where are those tasks? You know, There's there's an extra level of insight in order that you can derive some actions. So, okay, we need to strip the AM manager rollout, or we need to define it more clearly, or we need to hire an extra person in order to complete these jobs or retrain someone else to complete them. Then framing those actions in a story, thats that's the process you want to follow. And that's where you need to end up
0: Start with the end in mind as a a framework, because the data may lead you on a different journey. Make sure the insights are relevant, action-orientated and and add value, I think is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would add is that if you start with the end in mind, you need to be really careful of some cognitive biases. So there's definitely a case of confirmation bias, which is you might only look for information that proves your theory. So it helps to have a range of hypotheses Be really critical in what you're looking at and and have an open mind when you're going through it. But yeah, start with the end in mind, formulate the problem, formulate the hypotheses, do the analysis and and see where you get to. That's
0: good advice. And we see Insight maybe not recognized as Insight in all walks of our life at the moment. A couple of days ago, I watched the Brexit dramatization with Benedict Cumberbatch and they bought in an analytics company, an Insight company that identified circa 3 million voters that the other side of the campaign didn't know existed. And that that was their whole strategy was trust the data, trust the data, be led by the data, it's evidence-based. And if you can take some of the 3 million that the other side doesn't know about, that that's where you win. You know What history tells us is they got some of those and they, and they did win, rightly or wrongly. Back to the American presidential election last time where there was insight allegations being thrown around, but clearly data was at play in terms of driving messages and campaigns.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's a really good point. You know, 10, 20 years ago, I think the majority of people would have said that they don't interact with data day to day or create a lot of data that other people can use. But today, because of the proliferation of the internet and apps and location tracking and so on, all of us or most of us leave a data trail wherever we go. And many of us in our jobs today interact with data in ways that we wouldn't have 20 years ago because that data just didn't exist. And to the extent where, if you believe the hype, Facebook will have thousands of different iterations of their homepage live at any one time to see how people interact with it. And do all these mini experiments and then stick with the one that, that is most effective at getting the behavior that they want. Google will be doing the same. Most tech companies will be doing all these um, these small tests to try and get validated learning into what their customers want, make these changes all, all the time. And it, it goes into our personal lives as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you see the adverts that pop up on various sites, Facebook included, where it is relevant to something you have been looking to buy or even indeed before you even think about buying, which is bizarre.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth is I see this quite a lot on social media and have had conversations with friends about it where they say things like, it's remarkable. I was thinking of buying a lawn mower and now Facebook is presenting me images of lawnmowers." They must have heard me talking about it with someone. Well, the truth is that Facebook is probably better at predicting what you want than you are. And knows that because of your age, your family status, the sort of pictures you've been sharing, your movements, the fact you moved house, they probably know that you're more likely to want to buy a lawnmower now than than you than you are. Um, so yeah, the, and that's the way data is going. The more data is collected, and the more powerful the analytical techniques are that are used on it, the more companies are trying to predict predict outcomes or predict behaviors so Facebook can serve up ads for things that you didn't realize you wanted that trend I think will come to bear in a lot of different industries and as productivity data gets easier to collect with more data collected historically there's more data around I think people will begin to try and predict the outcome of different decisions on that data as well
0: yeah I think sport is more advanced than we probably give it credit for in In terms of insight, we'll veer off of productivity slightly because we both like sport. Me, Leighton, Orient, you, Oxford, and there's a whole podcast there on did we relegate you, did you relegate yourselves and all that kind of stuff. But we won't bore the listeners with that. Sport doesn't get the credit it deserves at times. I'd urge people if they've not seen it to watch the film Moneyball. It's about the Oakland baseball team, Brad Pitt stars in it if you like Brad Pitt. But it's fascinating in terms of the approach they used to be solely driven by evidence-based analytical data, which drove their whole recruitment. And ultimately they became very successful on the back of it where they would pick up the aging picture that everybody had discarded that was playing in the lower leagues. But actually his statistics said that if you could get him in the right frame of mind, if you could get him in the right place statistically on the, the field he was top pitcher, and the same with with batters and and it was all evidence-based and I know Brentford in terms of football work very very strongly in that evidence-based statistical way of recruitment which throws up some real oddball names that other people wouldn't have looked at because of purely based on the evidence fascinating watch Um, I don't know if you've seen it but
1: yeah I have seen it I would recommend it as well and I think the money ball—I'm going to make up a word here—the money ballation, money ballization of all of the sports that we watch in the UK is is well underway. With yeah, football teams looking for bargain buys in order to make a lot of money. And my my mind goes back to when I worked at in Moment. I was lucky enough to share a stage with Sir Clive Woodward at our European conference. Clive Woodward was one of the first rugby coaches to implement the pro zone system, which enabled him to track player movements at every minute in, in the game. Uh, and he his quote was, in general, the sports team with the best IT is the sports team that will win, which is a really surprising thing for to hear from him but he said he thinks it's true in business he thinks it's true in sport the the people with the best systems are the ones who will win and yeah when you look at you know player databases nowadays and the, the data that these football teams collect on on players you know their sprinting ability their stamina where they pass the ball where they cross the ball from and to and all this kind of stuff remarkable what they can infer from that and the decisions they can make and i I think you're right, is an example we all should look up to when we're running our teams or our business is how can we collect information that enables us to make better decisions and be leaner, be more effective, be more fun, whatever you're trying to do.
0: They can get down to the point of knowing or predicting almost when someone's going to get injured. So they then tailor the sprints or the stamina work that they do to, to avoid it and on the pitch as well. I don't think as a fan you recognise, but lots of substitution decisions are based on those pro zone stats of fatigue and then the likely risk of injury that means if you bring a player off after 70 minutes, you're preventing four weeks of a, five weeks of a hamstring injury. Whereas if you leave them on, that, that risk multiplies to a level of significance and therefore greater risk.
1: Yeah, I'm told yeah. that um at Midtjylland, which is the Danish football team, also owned by the owners of Brentford, the coach receives instructions by text message at half time from the data people of what they should do and actually the coach themselves doesn't have very much input into the the tactical or substitution decisions that they make in the second half uh, i'm not sure how true that is but i think it's remarkable the only i mean the only thing i would add there because i want to big up oxford united like they've spent <laughs> I mean, I think there's a relevant point there as well, but um, Oxford have hired a full-time sports psychologist this year to support the the team because they recognize that the data can take you far, but having experts who can help you interpret it and change the inputs themselves uh, is also really useful. So for example, they'll be collecting all the statistics that say this person's going into the red zone and likely to get injured, or this person isn't sprinting as, as fast as they should be and so on. But actually, they can then talk with the individual to try and get behind why that is occurring. So they can bring together different inputs and have more, more points of view on, on what that data is. And I think that's really a good analogy for what could be happening in business as well. If you're collecting data of any sort, but particularly productivity data, you know, can you in Can you get as many experts as possible to discuss how that could be interpreted and how you could impact it? So, what benefits can the HR, customer experience, finance teams bring to your analysis of that of that data alongside your own expert opinion?
0: Back into productivity as we swerved out into football. I think it was relevant, and I like talking about football anyway. Productivity data of the future. Interesting. There you talked about HR and finance, so that suggests. Combining productivity data with other data sources that the business have to give a more powerful insight.
1: Yeah, I, it's a trend in data analysis in general. I mean, you talked about data lakes earlier. All these organizations are rampantly collecting different sorts of information. I, I cannot believe that productivity data will not be included in that in that collation. And as productivity data is collected more more commonly in ways that are more real-time, then they'll definitely be included in in other information. And I just think the power of of the productivity data is enhanced if you can consider it also alongside your employee engagement data and or your customer experience data and or your, your profit and loss account. Like Just bringing all of them together gives you much better insight into what's going on in your business than looking at any of them in isolation and as technology advances as as people get more interested i I think that's definitely going to happen
0: from a productivity point of view where do you see the the future of data i think there's always going to be a need to capture it or to source the data somehow whether that's us capturing it with our team in in the store or robots doing it there's been talk over the years of capturing it through security cameras but i think gdpr kind of put play to that where do you see it going
1: well i think there's a, there's an important point here which is that data isn't just numbers data is also qualitative observations that could be made data could be taken from i don't know let's say you have a slack channel where people are discussing operations there could be valuable data in there as well and so it's it's not just about measuring numbers it's also about including unstructured feedback and insightful observations as well. But I think the future will be that people like me analyzing the data manually should disappear to a certain extent because if you've got a well-defined insights process and you're able to define the problem and the hypotheses you want to test, there will be algorithms that can surface the data you need uh, and tell you the things you need to know. So it's a trend that I saw to a certain extent in customer experience. I think it will come to other areas as well. This idea that there are automated, the automated generation of insights takes place. But not only that, as those insights are generated, you will build up a database of the actions you've taken based on those insights and how effective those actions have been. So you're getting a real closed loop in terms of feedback. You're not just using AI to assess the data and find the insights, but you're using AI to assess the quality of the actions you took. So eventually, I say eventually, I mean, the time frame for these things could be years rather than decades, but eventually you are getting to a point where your system is making automated recommendations of actions you should take, not just surfacing insights as well. And that's a, that's a route that I think will be very, very interesting to see how far down that, that road we can go.
0: You're going to live in the Terminator world and be replaced by a machine. That machine's machine's going to pull together all that business data, whether it be customer experience, productivity, sales, whatever it might be. And this is where we then start to get into the world of machine learning AI. So because it knows this and it's seen that and it can be fairly confident in the trend, we can... Keep learning continuously. That's fascinating. I mean, your mind boggles at where it could go from a productivity to drive sales point of view, a productivity to reduce cost point of view, a mixture of the both. There's almost a dial in the middle that says what's more important and we'll take you on this journey or, or that journey.
1: Yeah. And I I don't see this as the robot Armageddon that's coming to take jobs because The experience analysts are the ones who can help frame the algorithms and analyze the outputs. One of the things that people assume when they're dealing with algorithms is that they're neutral. They don't have a point of view, which is true to an extent if they've been programmed effectively. But the bias of the programmer can come out in the algorithm. So you're always going to need people who can interrogate the algorithm and can make sense of the outputs as well. I think humans analysing outputs from machines will be much more powerful than humans trying to generate those outputs. On, I think there there will be a bonanza in, in insight once we've got on top of
0: that. Big change valuing and focusing on the outputs should hopefully drive quicker benefit realisation because that whole swathe of data gathering is being processed. One of the risks I suspect is that it processes that well and that quickly that the outputs keep coming before you can do something with them. It's probably a nice problem to have from where people are today.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, making sure that you've got the right outputs that you're measuring is is the other problem because if you are looking just to drive sales, you might be making decisions that drive short-term sales rather than long-term sales. So there's lots to learn and it's definitely not going to be without its
0: challenges. But yeah,
1: as you say, it's a really exciting vision of the future, I think.
0: In this podcast, we've given you a film to watch if you're a listener. If you've not seen Moneyball, you can take your pick and support Orient or Oxford United, so yellow or red, depending on what your, your bias is. We've also looked into the future, and maybe we revisit this one, James, in a couple of years and see how see how close we were. You've done the question in the first podcast about best bit of business advice. So if we keep on the theme of data analytics, What would be your top three tips for people that are looking to go from data into insight?
1: Yeah, I think the first one would be view insight as a process, not as an output, and then you're going to be much more likely to generate something that is repeatable and solves problems. I think the second one is be aware of your biases and think critically. So every time you test a hypothesis, also test the opposite and by that I mean it's very easy to just find data to confirm what you thought you believed try and find data to deny it as well because if you can't find any then you're on the right track but you might easily be able to find something that uh, that disconfirms what you are believing you just need to look for it and then I think the last one is really embrace it we're all data geeks now data is everywhere we can all make the most use of it as long as we have the right in curious mindset. And I think that's something that humans have just inherently. I think innately humans are curious and embrace that. Don't tune out just because it you think it's data and it's it's boring or difficult. Bring your curiosity to the table and you will have a lot of fun.
0: Love that. Fun and data. Never two words I thought I would hear in the same sentence, but there you have it. Fun and data. Thanks, James. It's been a pleasure. People can find you at your purposeful website, which is prpsfl.co.uk, I believe.
1: That's right. On LinkedIn, James Bolly B-O-L-L-E.
0: Perfect. Good to catch up. Look after yourself and we'll speak soon.
1: Thank you very much, Simon. Come on, you yellows. <laughs>